Hello and welcome to Imperfect Men, yet another Rexypod rating all the founding fathers of the U.S. from Andrew Adams to George With. I'm Cody. I'm Steven. And today we are going back to the Constitution to discuss David Brearley. Ooh, Brearley. Brearley. B-R-E-A-R-L-E-Y. That's a that's a last name. Yeah. Sometimes you just find it spelled B-R-E-A-R-L-Y, but... Okay. That's incorrect. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) A little bit about Brearley. Born June 11th, 1745 in Hunterdon County, New Jersey. New Jersey. New Jersey on here. It's kind of north. That's north. Yeah, like mid-Atlantic states, yeah. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Son of David Brearley Sr., who the same year his son was born, was arrested for protesting British policies and... You know, was thrown in jail, but he was freed by a mob. Okay, he was freed by so they broke in and broke yep. him out, kind broke of him thing. Out. Yep. Jeez. Yeah. Okay. He must uh, have. He must have had some uh, some weight behind him then. Yeah. Uh. Well, well, unfortunately, not much is known about his childhood. Okay. Uh. Next. Uh, stuff I could find is that he studied at Princeton University. Ooh, it's prestigious. Uh. And. He's Do you want to guess what is? <laughs> He's a lawyer. He's a lawyer. He's a lawyer. Yeah. Read law and mm. served in private practice as a lawyer until 1776. Ooh, okay. When that year, he joined the Continental Army, and he rose to the rank of colonel in the militia. Dang. Uh, in 1779, he was elected as, and once again, yet another person who held this office, Chief Justice. Of the state Supreme Court. <laughs> Man, that's weird. I need to go back and see how many chief, like, state chief justices we've had. Because this has got to be, like, had to be like five s- or six. Yeah, maybe at more. least. At least. Yeah. We've yeah. had, what is this, episode 18? So, like, yeah. maybe, like, eight. Yeah, like, like it, it is, <laughs> like, that, uh, after lawyer, chief justice <laughs> of the state Supreme Court is the next most common profession. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, uh, serves there until 1789. He was selected as a delegate to the Constitutional Convention in 1787, where, though only absent for two days, he did not speak more than a dozen times. Okay. okay. But, but there is quite a bit on him in the convention. So. Okay, all right. Uh, and he signed the document upon its completion. Uh, he was nominated by President Washington and confirmed by the Senate uh, in September 1789, to be a U.S. District Court judge for New Jersey, so he's part of the federal judiciary. Dang. Uh, a role he held until his death on August 16, 1790, in Trenton, New Jersey, aged 45. 45, man. Yeah, so it doesn't, doesn't really last too long. Um, yeah, that's 45, man. Yeah, he, he only he dies just a few years after you know why we're talking about him. Yeah, that's so. a, that's like. I'm I'm about to be 47 or not 47 37. That's only like a few years away. Yeah, you're an old man. Yeah. I, I should be dead by now. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I guess that's like that. <laughs> I do see some gray hairs there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, so yeah, so that's just a quick biography on David Brearley. So now we get into the categories. Dang. Perpetual Union. How influential were they on the founding documents? Now, as I mentioned, this guy relevant to the Constitution because he attends the convention. He was not noted for his speaking ability, with one delegate saying of Brearley, quote, as an orator, he has little to boast of, end quote. <laughs> that was a nice way of saying, he can't. He sucks. He can't, he can't speak. <laughs> yeah. Dude sucks. I like, guess sometimes these insults back then are like very, like... Polite. Polite, but like also just like, yeah, just kind of like just, you know, 
poke him a little bit. Backhanded. You know? It was like polite but backhanded. So yeah, it's like, yeah. oh yeah, he just he wasn't much to speak of. Yeah. Meaning he sucked and nobody wanted to listen to him. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> uh, he worked with William Patterson on the New Jersey plan, which was developed in response to James Madison's Virginia plan. I'll explain those here. The Virginia plan called for a bicameral legislature, so a legislature with two houses. But both would be determined by the size of a state's population. So naturally, Virginia, like Madison, gonna love that plan sure, because it's the most populous state. The New Jersey plan called for a unicameral legislature, so one house, with equal representation for the states, similar to the Confederation Congress, but with much more authority. So basically, the New Jersey plan is like, let's fix what we have now, just make it more powerful. Sure. Because New Jersey, not not a large population uh, at this time, so it's like, it would kind of get the short end of the shrift for the Virginia plan. Yeah. So... Uh, Brearley, uh, after the Virginia plan was proposed, he kind of got up, this guy was showing his wit a little bit, uh, tongue-in-cheek, he proposed simply dividing the country up into 13 equally-sized districts <laughs> to solve the problem. There you go, they're unified, yeah. but they're all districts. Yeah, well, he's one. just kind of just being, like, yeah, I know. facetious. I gotcha. Uh, the, the New Jersey plan was defeated, uh, seven votes against, three votes for, and one vote uh, tied. But the concerns of the less populated states resulted in the Connecticut Compromise, leading to the creation of the Senate and the House of Representatives as we know them today. Mm-hmm. So he was kind of instrumental in crafting the, the New Jersey plan to kind of respond to it and be like, okay, this is our concerns as small states. He's not the main author of it. Gotcha. Uh, William Patterson is, and we'll talk about it more on his episode. Sure. But Briggerly is there. He's kind of, a lot of the sense I get, he's kind of one of these guys who is behind the scenes. Yeah. He doesn't really talk much in like in public, but like he'll like you know talk to two or three people at a time, sure. kind of you know yeah, kind yeah. of one, one of these guys. Honestly, it kind of sounds to me like the guy that was like he's not much of an orator was just jealous because this guy like could crack jokes real good. Yeah, so he's just like, yeah. he's I, like I'm not that witty, so like, I don't I like wish him. I thought of that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. He, I'm not nearly as witty, and yeah. I don't like him. <laughs> uh, Brearley was appointed uh, as, uh, and this kind of lends into my point. He was uh, appointed as chairperson of the Committee on Postponed Parts, uh, which dealt with issues tabled for the end of the convention. So it's the stuff they discuss, like, all right, let, let's just put that aside for the time being. But it's not, it's like a bunch of miscellaneous items. Sure. He's on this committee with John Dickinson, Rufus King, Roger Sherman, and Gouverneur Morris. Gouverneur. Who are all going to have pretty extensive episodes, because they're all very important people. But the fact that Brearley is chairperson of these people, that kind of gives you a sense of like, okay. He's kind of important. He's important. Maybe like behind the scenes, he's kind of one of these guys who can you know, kind of hash things out between people, kind of right. keep everyone on track. Like yeah. not a lot of like public speaking, like getting up and debating. Right. Or making these long, flurid speeches like a lot of them were right. wont to do. Yeah. But just kind of quiet, you know. Behind the scenes guy. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. Now, this committee, probably one of the most important uh, uh, bits of the concept of the convention here, it only met when the convention was in recess. Uh, but at the end, it produced a report that determined the following. It settled on the proposed method of electing the president via the Electoral College. Dang. That had been proposed, but they were like, they kind of modified it a little bit, like, let's do this. Yeah. Because initially... Uh, 
the way the electoral college worked, you like each elector had two votes. Okay. You cast two votes for president. Okay. Whoever had the most electoral votes was president. Whoever had the second most was vice president. Oh, okay. That's how it worked for the first four elections in our country. Really? In 88, 92, 96, and 1800. Because at the time, like, parties hadn't formed yet. Hmm. So it was just like, okay, we think this is the best person. All right, well. The problem arose in 1800. Okay. Because by this time you have parties, you have the Democratic-Republican Party, and you have the Federalist Party. Well, in 1800, Thomas Jefferson was the person like, okay, the Democratic Republicans, let's put him as forward as president. Let's put, let's, let's have Aaron Burr be the vice president. Mm-hmm. Aaron Burr, of course, famous later for killing Alexander Hamilton. Yeah. The problem is they both ended up with 73 electoral votes. Whoopsie. They tied. Oops. How do you, how do you break that tie? When there is a tie in the electoral college, or if there, if no candidate gets a majority, the house of representatives votes. Okay. To determine the president. But they don't vote by individuals. They vote by state. Okay. Problem in this instance, it was deadlocked for like 35 ballots Jeez. between Jefferson and Burr. Like it was just like like nobody could get a majority because the Federalists were just like, just kind of just being little putzes and just like, uh, yeah. So, I see. And then Alexander Hamilton kind of worked behind the scenes. Let's get Jefferson. Just let's end this and let's just vote for Jefferson. Sure. So, and that was changed with the 12th Amendment. And that's in 1804. That's how we get like, okay, you vote for the president and specifically the vice president. Like you have a ticket. Hmm. Like kind of like how we have today. That's where that comes from. Gotcha. So that, that comes out of this committee. They shortened the term, uh, the presidential term to four years. From the proposed seven years. Okay. And made it so a person could be reelected as president. Because originally it, the the proposal was you get one seven-year term and that's it. You can't run for re-election. Oh, okay. This committee decides you can serve for four years and at the time you can run as many times as you want to. Or oh. serve as many terms as you want to. Of course, that's been changed sure. since then. Yeah, but yeah. They moved impeachment trials from the judiciary to the Senate. Uh, and they granted the president the power to make treaties and appoint ambassadors, a power that had originally been vested in the Senate. Hmm. Um, oh, and they created this little office called the vice president. Well, yeah, well. Yeah, or anything. But yeah, um, they decided, like, you know, it's probably a good idea if the president dies while he's in office. Maybe have someone who can step in. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> but also, it's like, well, we need to give them something to do. So let's also make them president of the Senate. Okay. It's like, all right, there we go. We have our vice president. That's what he does. Yep. Uh, and that's what comes out of this committee. And rarely he presented the committee's final report to the full convention, which incorporated much of it as Article 2 of the final document. Uh, Brearley himself, after presenting the report, uh, they debated on it for like three or four days. He didn't say a word in defense of it. He just let everybody else on the committee kind of speak for it. So it's like, yeah, since the guy's like, not great at public speaking, or maybe just maybe he just had like fright. I and know, I, I mean, mean, that's a thing where it's like yeah. you have fifty other people staring at you when you speak. It's like that. I'm sure that could be intimidating. So yeah. maybe he was just more comfortable in like a smaller, more intimate setting, sure. like like this committee. Yeah. The bad thing is we don't really have the notes from the committee. Oh. 
other than this report. The only person who provides any sort of like information on the inner workings of what happened to the committee was John Dickinson, who kind of took credit for a lot of the stuff conveniently. And this was many <laughs> years later. So he's like, Yeah, that was me. <laughs> I did that. So yeah, so we don't really know who did what. So you kind of have to look at it as a collective whole. Hmm. So it's like rarely maybe he came up with a lot of stuff, maybe he didn't. Right. We just don't know for sure. But the fact that he was the chairperson of this committee means, you know, he he had an important say in all of the things that I mentioned. Sure, yeah. So Yeah, he had to have. Yeah. So that's what I got for perpetual union. Okay. Wow. Yeah. So what do you what do you want to give him? Dang. Yeah, so we like, don't it's know actually for sure some again, guy though. with some meat on him. Yeah, yeah, and we, well, we don't know for sure, though, you know? Like, yeah, we don't know the information. Like you say, you know, you always go back to the, well, we don't know for sure. Yes. There's not doc- enough documentation to say he did this thing or that mm. thing. Did, like, he just came up with the vice presidency out of the blue. Right, <laughs> exactly. Oh, man. But it sounds like he was pretty important. Yeah, but again, like, these behind-the-scenes guys. They might be the more important than even yeah. the up-front guys. Yeah. So I'm going to give him a six. A six? Yeah, that, that's kind of what I was thinking. Because, like, I like I was thinking, like, between, like, five, six, seven, I'm like, a five feels like too, le- too little, and a seven feels like too much. <laughs> so yeah, I think that's what I was thinking, too. A six and a six, that is a 12 for Perpetual Union. Not bad. Not bad. We the people. Ooh. Was their influence outside the founding documents? Uh, as I mentioned, he served in the Continental Army from 1776 to 79, which was some of the darkest days of the war. Yeah. Uh, he participated in the losses at Brandywine and Germantown, as well as the inconclusive Battle of Monmouth. And he was at Valley Forge in the winter of 1777 to 78, like kind of the famous winter at Valley Forge. People had no shoes. Yeah. They were being drilled by Baron von Scheuben, who I decided we will be talking about at some point. Okay. Because he's an interesting character. So he's there. Like, he, he is with the Continental Army at his, like, in its darkest hours. Yeah, that's respect. Yeah. Uh, he was Chief Justice of the New Jersey Supreme Court from 1779 to 89. That's good. There was a very important case in 1780. Um, called Holmes v. Walton, which when I first like read it over, I read it as Holmes v. Watson. I'm thinking, <laughs> is this like a is this like a palimony suit? Are they discussing who gets custody of Mrs. Hudson or something? But, <laughs> but no, it's Holmes Holmes v. Walton, 1780. He and he authors the decision in this case. It was the first instance of an American judge striking down a law or statute. Because it was unconstitutional. Oh. Which established judicial review in the country, which would become very important on a national level about 20 years later in the Marbury v. Madison case at the Supreme Court, which is probably the most important Supreme Court case ever. Oh. Because that's basically where the Supreme Court was like, yeah, we can review laws and decide if they're unconstitutional or not. Dang. So... Pretty important, yeah. Uh, uh, decision that case. Oh boy. Uh, and then his time as a U.S. district court judge, but he was like there less than a year before he died. So right, yeah, sure, sure. So yeah, so uh, what do you want to give him for that? Man, his forty-five years, he did a lot, huh? Yeah. Crap. Yeah, this That's guy did big. like very under the radar guy. 
Yeah, I've never heard this name before. I don't know why I would have, but yeah. you never know. Man, I'm, that's a pretty big. That's a pretty big one. Yeah, like ju- I mean, he didn't come up with the concept of judicial review, but, but he did it. But he was the first American judge to say that's unconstitutional. Like it was something. It was something where like um, it was kind of almost on a technicality that this case had been decided by a six-member jury mm-hmm. instead of a twelve-member jury, and okay. that was basically it. Basically, oh. he was like. Well, this law grants, this law says these cases can be decided by a six-member jury. The state constitution says you need a 12-person jury, so this law is unconstitutional. Dang. So, I'm going to give him an eight. Like, drop Mike eight? I'm giving him an eight for that one, because that's a big one. I mean, that, that established, yeah, like, a and, big and part like, of our... And courts, I mean, granted, this is, not a, this is not a federal court, but courts across the country will cite previous cases as precedent. Mm-hmm. Like, do it all the time. Mm-hmm. And I haven't. I should have went back and looked to see if the if Marbury or Madison specifically mentioned this case, but I can't think that they wouldn't have. Yeah, they had, or to. at least at least not known about it. Mm-hmm. So he's there at Valley Forge. Mm-hmm. So that's a like, big one. Yeah, like like that. It's like the fact that he was able to endure that and still stuck with it. Mm-hmm. Says something about and the man. He did I mean, it all in forty-five years. Yes, <laughs> I'm going to give him a seven. Yeah, seven. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, it's an eight and a seven. That's a fifteen for We the People. He's doing pretty well so far. Now, Uh-oh. articles of impeachment. Oh no! How scandalous were they? Ooh. I have one word in my notes. <laughs> nothing. Oh no, scandal. So None. No slaves, nothing like that. Hey, well, no, no, no record of it. I mean, New Jersey, so it's unlikely he would have. But um, right, right. Yeah. So I, I got nothing. So as a zero for Arthur's impeachment. Now, your favorite category. Mm. Bring it on. The whites of their eyes. What they look like. What did he look like? I want to see him? It's not a great picture. Great picture. It's the only one there is. Oh. He looks like a dude. Yeah, it's just a drawing, so it's like a sketch almost. Yeah. It's probably from I like don't a, even know if it's contemporary. You don't? Yeah. Where where did you get it from? Uh, the, the, like it was um Oh, where did I get it from? It's something like like the New Jersey Historical Society or something like that. Or mm, I don't yeah. remember. Offhand. All these guys always have these like really long like gr- like Greek noses, man. You know yeah. what I mean? They're like long, you know, Greek style noses. Yeah. He's got his powdered wig on. Probably because yeah. he was a judge. He had the curls. What do you want to give him? Eh, it's not great. I'm going to give it like a two. Yeah, I'm, I'm right there. Did, with you. Was he, is he in the picture of the, the concept? I'm, I'm, I'm going okay. I'm, I'm okay. to show you. Okay. Yeah. Uh, it's, you don't get, it's not much clearer. <laughs> I'll just say that. Dang it. Uh, So for two and a two, that is a four the whites of their eyes now like i said i'm going to show you the picture of where he is there's the there he, like in the big picture all right let me see and then if you slide over the that way you can see it zoom in on it he's like shadowed yeah he's like just like look like creeping around somebody <laughs> yeah he's like like this guy yeah. wasn't a, nearly important he's like right behind, he's like right behind william blunt like Blunt's yeah. like standing up there, and yeah, he's like right behind William Blunt. Yeah, 
no facial features really. Yeah, it's it's just kind of like. Eh. Now there is something. It's come before my search. I guess I should mention it. Uh, in Philadelphia, there is the National Constitution Center, which is like a museum and research institute type of thing. Mm-hmm. And they have I I can't remember if it's actually set up like this portrait, but mm-hmm. they have a whole room. And each of these guys has a bronze statue. I've been there. You've been there? Okay, uh-huh. so, so, you, so you know what I'm talking about. Uh, yeah, the, and it's the exact sizes of what, how big they were. Yeah. So, like, if you go up to Washington, he's, like, 6'2", and he's that's how big he is. Yeah. He's, like, 6'2", and then, like, um, Ben Franklin's huge. He was huge. He's big one. He was like a linebacker, man. <laughs> like seriously, he's a big dude. Well, by and that then, by that time, he was like old and gouty. You, well, yeah, <laughs> he's like he's like sitting in a chair. Yeah. And he's got like his cane and yeah. stuff, but he's like, you can tell like the dude is big. Yeah. And then there's like um, who was it? James Madison. Yeah, or Madison, something? little teeny he's tiny like little guy, five foot five tall. Four, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was like towering over. I'm yeah. only like five eight, and I was like towering over him. Yeah. Well, that, that, that's where that's where him, him right there. The yeah. There. But that was really really cool installation they have there. I highly recommend yeah, yeah i've never to been to philadelphia that. i'd like to see it uh, yeah but, i highly recommend that but yeah so um i thought about using his image of the statue but it's like it kind of looks just the same as this plus also there's plenty of these guys who don't have a statue and it's like ah let's just stick with the oh, stick with the sure yeah there. yeah these guys have like busts it's too. a big it's a big installation though yeah. i mean it's like it's cool it's really yeah, cool I'd, I'd certainly like to see it someday but um never get to philadelphia so uh, oh, yeah, bonus. It's one point for signing the Constitution. Mm. So he has a total score of 32. 32. It's not but bad. it's not all about the score. Oh. Because we have to ask the question. Uh-uh. Is David Brearley, Brearley. a founding father or a floundering father. <laughs> Founding father for sure. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. that that's That's not really a question. Yeah, it's kind of a slam dunk. Yes. Mm-hmm. I mean it's just that committee work. It's like it He seemed like one of these guys who would be content to like at least in the larger picture kind of sit and observe, maybe take some notes, but then in like a smaller like committee or just Uninformal setting with a few other people just having these discussions on how the mm-hmm. government should work. Sound like he's a pretty witty guy. I would have liked to talk to him. Oh yeah, yeah. He seems like he'd be fun to hang around with. But it's like also it's like you know like why doesn't because like I it, it, like he's very obscure. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I was thinking about it, and in one of the articles I read or my search, um, they made the point of. He doesn't last long, too much longer after the convention. He only dies three years later. He's relatively young, 45. So let's say even if he lives like another 15 years, you know, what does he do? Um, he may have ended up on the U.S. Supreme Court. Um, but also, like, a lot of these people, their legacy is continued on by their children. Oh. Rarely, I, honestly, I couldn't find who, like, he got married and had a son at some point. I couldn't find any information on that. Wow. That's crazy. Well, his son apparently disappeared at sea. Oh, jeez. Like, not long after Brearley died. So there's, like, no one to, like, kind of carry on his legacy. Sure. Or advocate for remembering him. 
Right. So that's probably why he just kind of falls on the cracks, even though he was seems like he was quite pretty, important. Pretty integral to the whole process. At, at least, at least, yeah, at least for portions of it. So it's like, you know, kind of the point, point of this whole show, you know, bring guys like this out in the open that people don't really know about, like him or like Richard Bland or uh, Richard Bassett, who we uh, talked to, or... Uh, or Abraham, not Bassett, Abraham Baldwin. Yeah, Baldwin. Who like yeah. that, who, you know, don't really get, get, get the play that, you know, uh, Samuel Adams or John Adams does, you know. Sure. Uh, so, but yeah, he is the, that's it, that is, of the 17 total we've talked about, he is the seventh who we decided is a founding father. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, seven Getting out of 17. Elite. Which Getting an elite team together. Yeah, which is good, you know. That's, you know, cutting cut fat. Mm-hmm. Cut the fat, getting the gristle off there. Mm-hmm. The gristle of William Blunt. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, that guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that guy. <laughs> Definitely really. listen to that episode. He's a. Uh, he was. A, that was a fun ride, though. Yeah, it was a good one. It's here, thirty-two. Where did that put him? That that tied him. That ties David Burley with Richard Bland, at thirty-two. Dang. So. Nice. Who and Richard Bland, also founding father. We decided mm-hmm. so. But yeah, that that's that's David Brearley. So I'm, you know, pleasant. I was pleasantly surprised by this one. Yeah. Um, honestly, I was glad to be able to use all those general source books I have because some of these guys, <laughs> it's like they're so obscure. It's like yeah, I can look through the index and like they're not even mentioned in the index. Jeez. And it's like, oh god. Yeah, trying to scrounge up something like, about. Yeah, them. I gotta like you know scrape the scum off the barrel to find something about these guys. Sources for this. Uh, Donald Scarini, David Brearley, and the Making of the United States Constitution from 2005. Austin Wakeman Scott's article, or extended entry into the journal. Holmes v. Watt, uh, Walton, uh, the New Jersey precedent from the American Historical Review from 1899. As well as, uh, see the pinned tweet for general sources. Podcast to recommend this time. Presidencies of the United States. Pretty self-explanatory what the host talks about. Uh, and he does a sub-series of that called Seat at the Table, where he goes through all the U.S. cabinet members and ranks them in a like a rec- like another Rexypod. So uh, go listen to that. Very, very solid research and uh, uh, entertaining. So, yeah, has the uh, imperfect men's seal of approval. Uh, so, yeah, so uh, next time uh, we will be discussing another signer of the Constitution, Jacob Broom. Broom. B-R-O-O-M. B-R-O-O-M. Wow. The sweepy thing. (laughs) Like the sweepy thing. (laughs) Yep. The sweepy thing. Yep. That'll be episode 19. So yeah, next time, Jacob Broom. Jacob Broom. Jay Broom. Broom. Please be sure to check out our other projects, including We F'd Up, a history podcast where we cover all the times in history where we F'd Up. And The Drunken Pond, a YouTube channel where we play board games and drink craft beer. As well as Hard Ticket to Sedaris, a movie podcast covering the action films of the late Andy Sedaris. And for all of our projects, visit our Twitter at AOP Pod Network. I'm Steven. And I'm Cody. And this is Imperfect Men. Men.